Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to another edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now, I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. I'm going to be talking about a Grease prequel that is in the works. Zack Snyder talks about his cut of the Justice League and a whole lot more, all on this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. And the first thing that I do want to talk about on this podcast is some Star Wars news coming out of the Disney Plus shows that are in the works right now, specifically the Cassian Andor and the Obi-Wan show. And according to Star Wars Direct, it sounds like that there is going to be some shakeups that are going to be happening in Lucasfilm and on these specific projects. Specifically, the, the, the prequel and the sequel are going to be set in Pinewood Studios. So there's a location change that is going to be happening, is going to be set in Pinewood Pinewood, and that the Obi-Wan Kenobi show could have some creative differences that are being worked out right now. And this seems like to be something that has been in the the news for a while now in terms of there was a showrunner that came on and then came off. Now they have another showrunner. And it seems like there is some more inner workings that are happening with the show. And it's just, it's sad to kind of see that in, in terms of, it seems like for a show and for a set of shows that, that are having these kinds of problems, you just wish that they would be able to kind of come up with what whatever they need to set their crew and be ready and be ready for the show that they want to create. It sounds like there's nothing wrong in terms of something with Deborah Chow. It sounds like she is fine that she's still going to spearhead this show, the the, the season, the series of Obi-Wan that that is set to come. And also when it comes to the Cassian Andor show, Tony Gilroy, according to Star Wars Direct, is set to be labeled as a director for the, the, the prequel series and that he isn't going to be directing all the episodes like Deborah Chow is, but he is going to have some kind of a semblance of, <coughs> excuse me, direct direction with this specific show. And I just find it interesting that, again, that Kathleen Kennedy, who I love and I love what she's been able to do with the Star Wars franchise, even though there have been some speed bumps along the way, that when it comes to creative heads, when it comes to people coming together and working on these movies on these shows there isn't cohesion within lucasfilm at this particular moment in time the only really cohesive project that seems to have really been worked on that started at beginning to end with no problems has been a the episode eight the the last jedi even though that got backlash after it came out in terms of the audience not really liking what came out in terms of the actual production ryan johnson seemed like he had no trouble from beginning to end doing the film that he wanted to do and the second one is the mandalorian where john favreau dave filoni have been able to work in in tandem together john favreau really kind of being the creative mind spearheading where this show is going with the knowledge that dave filoni has of where the star wars universe is right now including things like particularly the dark saber that showed up the mandalorian culture and the lore that both filoni and favreau know very very well and are going to continue that in season two and beyond with the mandalorian show and it just doesn't seem like there is that kind of cohesiveness with tony gilroy or the casting andor show or the obi-wan show and so that's the really the big thing that i am worried about going forward with these shows is that 
there there should be creative minds a, a vision that everybody agrees upon and is ready to go there shouldn't be in the midst of all this when you announce that you have a show and you're you are almost ready to go that all of a sudden there's creative differences and then you have to stop production or you have to hold the beginning of production to address these concerns. It should be ready to go. And when you announce projects, they should be at the almost at the, the finish line of pre-production at the beginning line of production, of shooting, principal photography. So that's the thing that kind of worries me when it comes to the Mandalorian, or not really the Mandalorian, but the shows coming after the Mandalorian. So there's still some things that seem like they need to be worked on with the the Obi Wan show, with the Cassian Andor show, and I'm hoping we get more news in the coming months, and that once Lucasfilm and Disney is able to work out when they want to reshoot their films or be resume production on their shows and their movies again, that we get back into production in a able and stable case going forward. What do you guys think about this news regarding Obi-Wan and casting the indoor show moving forward? Let me know down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Moving on now to some movie news regarding a very interesting story that came out from Deadline yesterday regarding a Grease prequel in the works and it seems like it's going to be titled Summer Loving and it'll be a prequel set during the summer that Danny and Sandy, the two leads of the Grease film, met in and sung in the song Summer Nights, which is such a popular musical song that is still sang to this day. And the Grease movie itself is still a pop culture phenomenon today. A few years ago, there was a live production of it on Fox. People sing the songs all over, over and over and over again. And in today's day and age, especially with COVID going on with drive-in theaters, I've been seeing a lot of pictures and a lot of Grease movie listings on a lot of these drive-ins just because it is a fun summer musical to enjoy even to this day and age when even if it came out years and years ago. And so it seems like the studios are going back into that well and going back to these characters once again. And according to this Deadline article, the studio thinks that if this film, this prequel is a success, it could spawn off into a franchise. And it's set to be directed by Brett Haley, who will has directed a few indies that were Sundance hits over the years, including I'll See You in My Dreams, The Hero, and Hearts Beat Out Loud. And this will be his first major big-budgeted film where he'll have the pressure of, of, of fans to worry about and, and delivering on a ma- major motion picture. And there's a lot to really kind of take away from this this story and what could be coming forth with it. And I want to get to the to the pros first with this. I think the biggest thing to take away on a good side from this is the fact that Brett Haley, the director, it seems like, according to the article, that he has a very good idea for where he wants to take this film and how we can adapt it for the times in 2020 where... The film, because it's a prequel, doesn't necessarily have to take place now, but you include themes and you include some lessons and ideas and dialogue that will resonate now in 2020 and into the future 
that people can relate to, I think could gravitate towards people a lot more and including the music. And when you see musicals that have come beforehand, like The Greatest Showman is really the first one that comes to mind where you can gravitate people towards that kind of music. I think that could really work. And if the director has that kind of vision, then I think that's a level of confidence that people have to have that the studio chose this person specifically because of the vision that he has. Now, whether that vision turns out and translates on screen and actually delivers a good movie is yet to be seen. But I think the fact that they didn't didn't hire somebody that is a fan of Greece and they were developing a, an idea, if this person says, I know where I want to take this, I know where the direction that this should go in, then you go with that person, whoever it is. So, and it seems like the studio is confident enough that Brett Haley is that person. Now to the to the con side of things, the stuff that I think doesn't really work with this, and I think there's a lot more cons than pros to this, unfortunately. But the the first thing when you see that this is going to be a prequel, it's going to feature the characters of Danny, and it's going to feature the character of Sandy and how they met up, a Greece in the Greece universe, things that people love, John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John. You got to think it's a money grab at first. That it's just a studio looking to capitalize on the popularity of a property that people love and hold dear to their hearts that you just want to capitalize on that and it's also the establishing the characters of, of Danny and Sandy again Danny was made popular by John Travolta and Greece made John Travolta into a superstar same thing with Olivia Newton-John and so you're gonna have to give two other actors and actresses the immense pressure of carrying forth this legacy that has been kind of will be bestowed upon them by already people that when they look at them they're not going to recognize the the faces of those they're going to say well that's not danny that's not sandy that i know who danny and sandy are just kind of like it reminds me of what happened with Solo a Star Wars story where you give all in, in that case Alden Ehrenreich the immense pressure of trying to play a younger version of Harrison Ford and even that's asking him to play a part that we don't really even know that backstory to that character with specifically what we know with Danny and Sandy it was a summarized in the song that again is very popular and we kind of saw the first scene of the movie is in that summer so we already have that image of john travolta and olivia newton john so you're not even asking them to think about these characters as even younger as in the case with with harrison ford and alden Ehrenreich with solo you're asking people to say get rid of john travolta olivia newton john and replace these other two people as these characters i think that's going to be very 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 difficult to do then in terms of, again, the franchise, or not even the franchise, but the legacy of this movie and this property, that that is that is such immense pressure that I don't wish on any actor or actress to take upon. Now, whoever they cast, and whether it's newcomers or not, then I'm going to wish them all the best. But I don't I don't envy them of, of carrying that weight and, and trying to honor that legacy because it's tough. And again, it's it's the it's the song. How are you going to develop a a movie that is that tells its story in one song unless you expand upon that actual song and include different characters in, in this in, in that specific time frame? What are you going to do with that? 
And so to me, it's it's just very confusing of why you would do a, a prequel like this. It's not like you're asking people to go all the way back in time to when Danny and Sandy never knew each other. And we're going to focus on one of these characters and the, and the times that they were before we met them. You're asking them to go to a place where we already know where it leads to. And so it, to me, it's just it's 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 not a great starting off point, a really great point to really kind of do a movie like this. And again, maybe it's the fact that it's going to take place within that time frame and it's going to follow Danny and Sandy's love story beginnings, but maybe to focus on different characters. Maybe that could be a possibility. If that's the case, then I will enjoy that more so than I would with what I would see with just showcasing the story with Danny and Sandy. And it just, to me, it just doesn't work out in that sense if we're just focusing on those on that story because where's it gonna go? Again, we know where it goes and how are you gonna create a franchise from that? Where do you create a franchise from that? Do you, do you introduce characters that you'll branch off and showcase? Well, this is what after Danny and Sandy, this is what these characters were doing during this time frame. Is that what you is is that the franchise that you're looking at building? So I, I just I again I think the fact that they were able to get a director that has a vision for where he wants to go with this. That's the best thing you could ask for. But in terms of the the scenario, in terms of the popularity of these characters, in terms of the storyline of already knowing what where this leads up to, I just I don't think that really it works. And and I think it's going to hurt the legacy of Greece more so than it would help evolve it or or help bring in new people i think you just have the film grease for what it is and for again the 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 influence that it has on movie musicals on musicals on on songs on 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 summertime on summer movies it i think it already has its place and again again like i was saying the fact that you have places in drive-ins right now that are showcasing Greece shows how popular the, the the film still is in today's day and age. It's carried over tremendously well. So I think to just keep this franchise going will not help it in one way, shape, or form whatsoever. So it, it's an interesting it's interesting, but at the same time, I don't think it's a great idea to kickstart a prequel. Or to start a franchise within the Greece universe. Just keep Greece as Greece and the legacy that it has established over the years since it was released years and years and years ago with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. But guys, that's just my take on, on, on this news story of the Grease prequel. What do you think about it? Do you think it's a good idea? Do you think that it's going to be tough for them to, to tell the story again of Sandy and Danny? Let me know down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. And then moving on from the genre of movie musicals to the genre of comic books, and I want to talk about one film in particular that has been gaining a lot of headlines over the last few months in the in a universe of COVID-19, and that is the upcoming 
Justice League version coming from Zack Snyder. And he was on Beyond the Trailer yesterday with Grace Randolph talking about the his version of Justice League and what's to come with it and his thoughts on it and, and what he's looking forward to and what he wants to accomplish with it and what he wants fans to take away from it. It was a it was about a 20 minute interview that I think really gave some good context of where Zack's head is at going forward with his version of Justice League and what he wants to do with it. And one of the things he did talk about was the the continuity, the the place that this takes in in the overall universe because this is something that precedes two other movies specifically man of steel and batman v superman and continues that story that we know from those two specific movies and then there's the question of well would it contradict things that have happened in wonder woman or wonder woman 1984 or aquaman shazam what's going to happen is there going to be contradictions that we're going to see moving forward and this is specifically what he said on that point in regards to the continuity I believe that it really starts to represent its own path, you know? It doesn't really, it's kind of separate now from what I would say the DC universe, cinematic universe in continuity is kind of. It's divergent in that way, and I think that's a good thing. And I think that you know the power of DC, and one of its cool strengths is that sort of multiverse concept. And also where they kind of put filmmakers first and say, you know what, guys, we want to hear your individual voices. Take these characters and do a run and show us what you would do in the sort of great tradition of comic book writing and runs that have been done with all these amazing characters. So I think that is a cool and amazing sort of canvas. So for me, you know, I think Justice League, you know, I've heard someone say like, oh, like, so it's the, you're entering the Snyderverse now when you watch the, and frankly, you know, what you'll see in Justice League and BVS and Man of Steel. There, there's continuity across three movies that I really think, you know, very, he connected his hands in a gesture, the action of what he's doing, because I made them. That's what I really think, that's my main focus, is to satisfy the narrative structure, you know? And it's it that the quote isn't something that is from an interview that somebody did for an article. This was something that you can find on YouTube. So he was kind of thinking about what he wanted to say, and he did that throughout the interview. And I really did like what he had to say about this about Justice League because this is a question that a lot of people are going to have and he kind of put his hand down saying that this is not going to take place within the overall dynamic of the cinematic universe going forward and he went on to talk about Wonder Woman 1984 being its own thing the the Batman universe that Matt Reeves is creating which he had some nice things to say about Matt Reeves and, and looking forward to seeing what Robin Pattinson does with the with the with the Dark Knight, and so I thought that was an interesting and exciting thing to hear that even though it's going to showcase Man of Steel and BVS as you can watch films beforehand, watching his version of Justice League, everything else you don't really have to worry about with 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 connectivity and and connecting to the overall universe. And I think what an interesting part of that interview when they were talking talking about this is and he says in the quote of doing these these different kind of graphic novels that are their own stories that they don't they they're not connected to an overall universe they're just kind of their own little world within the larger universe kind of like the multiverse in a way which is notoriously known for DC and Marvel which it seems like specifically with the MCU is what Kevin Feige and the creative heads over there 
are really going to start to really get involved and get into more so in the next few years. So I think for Zack Snyder to say, well, you can, in the continuity of Man of Steel, BVS, which is continuing that story of Superman and of Batman, it's going to deliver the themes that have come beforehand, but everything else, is it's not going to affect. It's going to be its own little bubble right now, which I'm really excited about, and I think... The, the one thing that I'm really looking forward to with this is the fact that we get to really kind of see his story play out the way he wanted to because he's always said that he had a five-movie arc for Superman and for this story that he wanted to craft out. And the question becomes, is he going to continue this five-movie arc and that it's going to be contained in this three-plus-hour or limited series-like version that he's doing of Justice League? And so... I think there's some questions to be had of it, but he did give a lot of answers and solutions and, and ideas for what he's looking forward to doing with this with this version of Justice League, talking about where he sees the journey of Superman, which I think ultimately, when you watch Man of Steel, BVS, and then this, it'll be the story of Clark Kent transforming into the Superman that we all know and love. And he has a lot of... Of of uh, of mythical and, and Greek mythology that I think he really wants to bring up with with dying and resurrection and being a godlike symbol for people to look up to and I and, and when you hear the interview and and out of all the people that he talks about the most he definitely has a handle on where he wants to go with Superman and I think that the main driving point for all three of these movies is the journey that Superman goes on and I think that is what we're going to look at in terms of graphic novelizations this is going to be his version of, of Superman and the story of Superman involving these additional characters with Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Cyborg, and Flash and where it goes from here so the fact that it's going to be contained and, and within his own little bubble of the DCU I'm really really excited about and and I think it can officially be announced that it's not going to take place within the overall DC structure so going forward with Wonder Woman 84 going forward with Aquaman 2 Shazam 2 Black Adam these movies coming down the pipeline it won't be affected by the story structure of what was said in the 2017 movie and then be contradicted by what happened in, in the Snyderverse film. It's going to be two different things can entirely in its own little bubble. So I think that is something that can officially be labeled as not being a overall big part of the DCEU going forward. Moving on now to staying within the, the world of, of course, movies and moving on to the world of Christopher Nolan, specifically more drama revolving Tenet. And the, the, the big drama news came yesterday, of course, with the announcement that the Tenet release date has been delayed inevitably at this point and indefinitely. And that there's going to be an, an announcement of what they're going to do moving forward within the next few days, within the next week or so. And that's the timeline that the statement from Warner Brothers' Toby Emmerich came out with yesterday. And along with the announcement of Tenet being delayed, we got the reaction from the chairman of NATO and his reaction to what the theaters had or, or what the response was from theaters and what they're looking at moving forward. And his response to what they they want to see moving forward and, and their mindset, I think, is very understandable when you hear what the head of NATO had to say. And this is his response. 
Distributors should stick with their dates and release their movies because there's no guarantee that more markets will open later this year. Until there's a vaccine that's widely available, there will not be 100% of the markets open. Because of that, films should be released in markets where it is safe and legal to release them. And that's about 85% of markets in the US and even more globally. They should release their movies and deal with this new normal. Studios may not make the same amount of money than they did before, but if they don't start distributing films, they're going to be a big hole in their balance sheets. This is a $42 billion a year business. Most businesses would take 85% of that instead of zero, which will be what happens if they wait for all the markets to open up. And again, that's a very reasonable response from NATO in terms of the fact that they're looking for their theaters to reopen again, and the fact that they're 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 not really looking so much at the again the day to date and the fact that look we're not going to have a worldwide or or a global opening for everyone to see these movies and that they need to start making this money back as soon as possible and that the studios are having their own issues and and this is the issue that the theaters are having which they they have always said from a few months ago that they are not going to open back up again until there's new content to come out with and that is the same thing that is happening internationally as well and internationally they have films that are produced locally for for their markets that they can put out with but also they have international films specifically china where they have some films that were made here in the u.s that they can put out like sonic and jojo rabbit that have already been released here. So they can come out and say, we have new content. Here, we don't really have that specific say right now. And a big part of that is because of the fact that we there's no real clear indicator of when we're, we're gonna put a stop with COVID-19 at this given moment in time. And I think you can, again, take these re, this reaction from NATO and say, you can understand where they're coming from and also see from the side of the theater and back them up and saying that, well, from from a studio standpoint, they need they at first were were looking at this as kind of a way of saying we want to continue on with the strategy. But I even think they're thinking a little bit outside the box right now where reports yesterday were saying that they were looking at least for Warner Brothers was thinking that we can put out tenant internationally and then work within the United States and see where we can open up theaters and put this movie out. So I think in the end, they're going to come out on the same page. It's just, I think right now there was, again, a lot of hopscotching, a lot of hot potato that was going on that the theaters were trying to line up with these films and were kind of hoping for a Hail Mary. And because of the way that the response has been right now, that Hail Mary isn't exactly working out for them so far. And it seems like the, the studios and NATO are in tandem with one another. And, and, and the NATO chairman specifically says that the, that Disney and Warner Brothers specifically have been great partners and communicating with them and making sure that they are up to date on the decisions they're making because they don't want another reaction of what happened in April with Trolls Universal where 
really the reason that that whole thing kind of started where there was a little bit of a rift between the studio and the theaters was because when Universal announced Trolls World Tour for VOD, the real reason the theaters were mad at the studio was because they did not let them know like they did with Fast 9 and their other major films that they were just going to put it on VOD. They just really want consistent communication and that is what Warner Brothers and Disney have been giving them so far and and it seems like Warner Brothers let NATO know ahead of time like look we're pulling this off indefinitely and we're looking at other strategies right now which is why we didn't hear the NATO chief go off and go crazy that this is unacceptable this is this that we, we need to be doing this stuff and again hearing this statement that he made it, you can understand where the theater chains and where they're going to come from because now with Tenet kind of again like I said yesterday being that that main centerpiece falling and everything else is really unstable at this point that everything is probably going to start dropping Mulan might be next Broken Hearts Gallery announced that they are delaying their release date indefinitely up until this point that was supposed to be the first major film or, or first studio film to come out since the theaters were shut down on August 7th and that has been delayed on hinge is probably going to be delayed Mulan Bill and Ted is going to have to do something there's been rumblings about what mu- new mutants might be doing in the future so this kind of puts the the theaters in another precarious position of how long do we delay for now because you said that you were coming out on July 31st and you also said that you're not going to open back up again if you don't have any additional films or major films new content to come out with and that's not going to be happening until at least if these films are wiped clean off the board excuse me and the board resets itself what are you going to do moving forward from here quiet place part two is the next film to open on labor day weekend and that might be a case where that might be delayed indefinitely or delayed until a certain point right now so the theaters and and nato are in a difficult position and I can understand where they are coming from, but at the same time, you can also understand where the studios are coming from. And I think, again, I'm not taking sides on who get on on who's right and who's wrong, but again, looking at the different lenses, what I, what I, which I think in this kind of situation is what you should do in this given point in time. And again, it, you also have to know from a theater's perspective of, is it really the right time to be opening up right now? And I know for them, again, they have to open back up because because they're in so much debt, they need to start making that money and they need to reopen their businesses again. But is this the right time to be doing that? Especially if there is evidence coming out that maybe indoor circulation is starting, is doing more harm than it is than it is helping everything out. And even if you have all these safety precautions in place, it really might not be enough if you can't really kind of safeguard a few other things that might be out of your hand altogether. If people are wearing masks, if you sanitize the seats and sanitize the the stations where the soda machines are and the popcorn butter is, if you can't, if you still can't do, if you do all those things, but still it's not enough, then maybe you just wait it out a little bit more than trying to open back up in the summertime, which I think right now, especially after yesterday's nail in the coffin of tenant delaying indefinitely, I think you're going to start to see the board wiped clean for the rest of the summer movie season up in this given point in time. But guys, what do you think about this news of NATO's response to the tenant delay? Let me know down below. 
in the comment section and leave your thoughts. And then the final bit of movie news that I want to talk about on this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast is a brand new project that is in development. And according to Deadline, it's a big one. And it is going to be a team up over at Netflix with it being directed by Sam Ismail. And it is going to star two powerhouse actors in Denzel Washington and Julia Roberts reteaming once again since 1993's The Pelican Brief. And it's this story is very, very interesting and very relevant for the times that we live in today. And this is the plot based off of this highly anticipated novel that is set to come out in the coming weeks. And the plot of this book is Amanda and Clay's aspirational vacation with their teenage children is interrupted by the arrival of a middle-aged couple who own the holiday home and who have fled an unprecedented blackout in the city. When the internet, television, and radio shops stop working, as does the landline, there are no way of finding out what is happening. As strange sonic booms shatter the peace of the countryside and animals start to migrate in strange ways, the physical and mental health of the families begins to disintegrate. The renters are upscale and white, the owners are upscale and black, the issues of race and clash become distractions to the more alarming things that are happening all around them. And yesterday on Twitter, somebody made the comparison that this sounds like a Twilight episode come to life in terms of the social issues that this deals with internally with the characters, but also in these very strange beings that are happening outside the the world. Kind of like that, that episode on the Twilight Zone of Maple Street, where people are accusing other people of being involved in what's happening in their neighborhood, but in the end, you find out that it's something else entirely that isn't the fault of the people living there. And so it, it kind of sounds like this is in that kind of vein. It's not connected to the Twilight Zone at all, but it has that those kind of comparisons. And, and I found that on Twitter, which was interesting. But to me, that this sounds like another slam dunk project that, again, you have the combination of Denzel Washington, Julie Roberts, who have said that they've wanted to work together again after the Pelican Brief. And just, I guess, they're really the, the opportunity hasn't arisen in the years since, but it seems like it has now. And that Julie Roberts, Denzel Washington are producing. Julie Roberts, according to the reports, got the project. She read it, she liked it, and then. She sent it over to Denzel Washington to read and to see if he wanted to be a part of it. So this sounds like it's going to be a really interesting project. And again, for Netflix, just like I was saying yesterday with the big production budget that they're having with the the Russo brothers and with Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, they're really drawing a lot of A-list talent both in front of the camera and behind the camera. And this is just adding to it. Sam Eastmail, who a lot of people know for showrunning particularly Mr. Robot with Rami Malek and then doing Homecoming in which Julie Roberts was on that first season and you you delivered two other A-listers that you wouldn't think you would see on a streaming service but if again if the property is right if the story's good wherever it may go people will do it i think for a lot of people it doesn't really matter on the or for most people at least it doesn't matter what platform you're on as long as you get a platform to voice the uh, creatively what you want to do and work on projects you want to do then i think any kind of artist whether they're a talent of of a performer or a talent of a filmmaker they're going to do it no matter what. And to me, this sounds really interesting. And this was a highly touted project that had a lot of 
people that were interested in in this project, specifically streamers and, and companies that we've heard about over the last few weeks trying to acquire these highly touted projects and these highly touted ideas. Specifically, MGM, Apple were in the mix, and Netflix were, and Netflix came out on top. And it sounds like this is going to be a major, major deal once again for Netflix in the same rage in which Apple closed a deal with Antoine Fuqua and Will Smith for the, the the slave movie Emancipation, where that's going to be an action thriller based in in the in the slave times during the Civil War, in which is going to show a runaway slave trying to escape and reach the the army in the North to really kind of showcase what's going on with slavery, and it's based off of that iconic photo that you see of 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 a slave whipped with the scars that is just kind of ingrained in a lot of people's brains of what slavery was for a lot of people back in those days, specifically black people. And going on emancipation, and it sounds like the, 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 the hot streak that these projects are on right now, this film is another one that Netflix is going to have to pay a lot of money, it sounds like, for for the talent in front of the camera. And again, if that's the price you have to pay for getting films like this out there, then you got to do it. And I'm happy that they did it. And I'm sure that Sam Ismail, the creative team, they're going to have the freedom that they need to bring forth whatever they need to on this project and adapt this book. So I'm really interested and I'm excited to see this. You can't get wrong with this three that you have working on this project. So I'm really excited to see what they do. And that's it for the news portion of this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. And to close it out, uh, I want to talk about a, a few things to, to round it out. The first one is to celebrate an anniversary. And today marks the one-year anniversary since it was announced last year in 2019 on July 21st at San Diego Comic-Con in Hall H during the Marvel Studios panel before Phase 4 was announced that Avengers Endgame broke the record, defeated James Cameron, dethroned him after 20 plus years as the king of the box office as the highest grossing film of all time worldwide, unadjusted for inflation, mind you. Again, a lot of people go by that, that it's unadjusted for inflation, but for the people that that also go by adjusted, it is not the highest grossing film adjusted for inflation, but unadjusted, it is the highest grossing film of all time. And it's amazing looking back on it, A, how much has changed since then, but also looking back on the the magnitude and the event-like quality of Avengers Endgame and how there really hasn't been anything quite like what it was. Even Avengers Infinity War wasn't like it. And I think it's so funny looking back on films like Infinity War, The First Avengers, Star Wars The Force Awakens, and how people were always wondering, I was one of them, are these the films to dethrone James Cameron? And specifically Avatar, which since 2009, up until last year, was the reigning box office champion with $2.7 billion. That just seemed like it, it would, it's just impossible to break because a lot of films, when they end their run, get to around the $2 billion, but they need that additional $700 million to get over the hump, really. And it, it a lot of people, I think, were had hesitations that maybe Avengers Endgame could do it because a lot of people have asked this question about it. And so it's just only logical that you think, well, maybe it could, maybe, maybe it might not. Who knows? And then even after Endgame demolished opening 
opening weekend records worldwide and domestically, people were still saying, you know, but it's it's still going to have legs. What's it going to do? And over the weeks that followed its opening weekend of Endgame, people were still wondering, well, it, it seems like it's slowing down. There's a lot of competition, which there was, especially in last year's summer movie season that maybe it might not be able to do it and then of course came the additional footage that marvel started marketing once again and people called a re-release and people attribute the re-release to the film gaining of that money and you could say that that's that's the case and sure it did have a re-release if people think it was a re-release and a lot of films have done that avatar did it titanic has done it as well a lot of people over the years have had it and I think Disney saw what what the how close they were of doing this, and they just decided to put this in, do it now when it was still fresh for everybody that was involved with it, and it was it was able to do it. And I think it's such an, an accomplishment that we always say, "Well, we'll never see anything like this again," and this will never happen again. And I think the the event-like quality of what Endgame was will will be a very long time before it's replicated again. But the reason I say very long time is because never say never. Because I remember when Avatar came out and, and that was something that was, that was really something that was unprecedented as well in terms of the way that it got to $2.7 billion. It wasn't like it had a huge opening weekend like Endgame and just just didn't have, just kept having the strongest legs imaginable. It started out small and it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so that was very unprecedented, but we saw The Force Awakens and, and how that was an unprecedented experience, both here domestically in its box office. And even though Avengers Endgame holds the worldwide highest grossing mark, Star Wars The Force Awakens still holds that domestic marker, where it is still the highest grossing domestic film of all time. Endgame is still number two in, on that list. So there's all these different events that, that set these standards that you think are unprecedented and will never happen again. But again, with everything that I've seen in my life when it comes to movies and movie events and box office numbers, is to always say never say never. And it's not to say that this will happen in two years, four years from now, even six years, but maybe another 10 years, maybe another 15 years, we'll see events like this happen throughout our lifetimes again. So I think, again, it, it's such an incredible quality of of what Avengers Endgame was able to do. And I also think it's a testament to kind of how Endgame was a culmination of a 22 film story arc that came from 2008 from Iron Man. The, the box office run that Endgame had was kind of also the, the build-up point to the audience that the MCU has garnered throughout 12, 11, 12 plus years of being in a lot of people's eyes and kind of at first being an indie studio in 2008 and not a lot of people knowing how this studio would be able to stand on its own two feet. And yeah, with a little backing from a major corporation like Disney, it helps to have that as well. But I think you can't go about the... You can't just say that it's because of that. I think you really have to give props to Kevin Feige, to the people at Marvel Studios for continuing this and just continuing to elevate themselves year after year after year with their films and to have it capped off in a climactic way with a, a phenomenal movie and endgame, but also 
with the phenomenal box office run that was unprecedented at this given current time period is just incredible. So again, it, 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 amazing to see where we are now a, a year later. And unfortunately, we're having San Diego Comic-Con at, at home this year. But the bright side is a lot of people can look forward to it and, and access it. But at that point, and I was watching the the Marvel panel again from Hall H and that little segment to hear the crowd just being an uproar when Kevin Feige announced it. And it's just, it was really special to kind of see that. And I remember the news breaking and it was just an inevitability, I think, as it inched closer and closer and closer. And so, again, it's incredible. And I think it's just another anniversary that we can just talk more Avengers Endgame and celebrate the momentous occasion that it brought with it last year throughout the year and specifically during last year's summer movie season. And then the final thing I want to talk about today is not an, well, it is an anniversary, but also specifically it's the birthday of a legend that was taken way too soon from us. And today is the birthday of not even just the comedic legend, but the legendary performer and actor that was Robin Williams, who is today is his birthday and he passed away tragically from, from suicide in 2014 and I remember that that's that's a day where you always have days of where were you when such date happened in 2020 it's going to be where were you when everything locked down and the world and the country shut down because of COVID-19? And unfortunately, one of those days was, where were you when Robin Williams tragically passed away? And that I remember that day specifically. I was helping my dad out with work and we got into into a little accident and we were the 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 person that was that was taking the car back to the impound. I remember just looking at my phone, look, looking to see what the news was, and the first thing I'm on Entertainment Weekly site, bold face right away is the 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 news about Robin Williams, and it, it was incredibly sad. It was shocking, and even I know people that don't get really shocked about a lot of stuff. And he and my dad was somebody who I don't really get to see kind of shocked about a lot of stuff. He was shocked about it, and my friends were shocked about it. Everyone that I really talked to about it was was shocked, and and really I think. It kind of showed you the the presence that he really had for a lot of people in which again he wasn't just a great comedian but he was just a great actor that was involved in so many iconic performances you have from Mrs. Doubtfire to Dead Poet Society I remember of course to Goodwill Hunting and to what he did with Genie and Aladdin there's there's so many different films and so many different genres that Robin Williams touched that just made him an all-around great actor and an Oscar winner a great comedian that just had great timing was able to do impersonations that nobody else could even do that that even to this day nobody touches the realm of what Robin Williams was able to do and unfortunately we, we lost an icon that again was taken away away from us too soon and I think now it's just the fact that we celebrate him celebrate his life celebrate whenever his birthday comes up or whenever an anniversary of Robin Williams's projects come up we celebrate him and we celebrate the, the the trailblazing landmarks that he delivered for iconic performances that we never thought were possible and it's all attributed to him and, and how he was able to just I think 
be such a warm presence. And even as a, being a serious actor in, in serious roles, he was able to just be that warm presence, somebody that could comfort you in a way. And, and I think nobody has been able to do the range that Robin Williams was able to come across as an actor and as a performer. So again, my, my hearts go out to the Williams family for even just all these years later for their loss. But it's also now a celebration of the legacy that Robin Williams leaves behind. And I wanted to end the show talking about Robin Williams because I just think he he's one of my favorite performers that I've ever seen. And, and even when I'm flipping through television and one of his movies come up, I'll, I'll always stop and, and I'll always watch it just because he just has that gravitas as a performer that he just hypnotizes you into watching his films no matter what they are and you forget what you were intending to watch and you're just going to watch what he is in right now so it's it's again it's a testament to the legacy of the performer that was robin williams and that's how i'm going to close out my show for the sam bissell podcast guys what are your favorite memories of robin williams what's your favorite performance of robin williams let me know down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts and on that note that is the end of this edition of the sam basel podcast again everyone thank you so much for tuning in be sure to check out my channel for more content you can check me out on spotify apple Podcasts, stitcher radio public soundcloud and much more also make sure to tune in onto the ambiguous podcast solutions and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there such as you mad bro the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also along the way, you can see these other shows that are on the podcast solution, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check those out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. Also on Facebook and Twitter, at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, once you're all done following the podcast solutions on their social media accounts, make sure to come over to mine real quick and give me a quick follow. You can find me on Twitter, at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L. S-A-M-U-E-L, that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L, and on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Thank you guys again so much, and until next time, keep on screening.